Section 83 Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland and the Search for the Poles This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Jane Bennett The World's Story, Volume 8 Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland and the Search for the Poles Edited by Eva March Tappan Section 83 How the Greenlanders Got a Bishop 1126 By Dr. Isaac I. Hayes The introduction of Christianity into Greenland was accomplished by Leif, son of Red Eric, and it was the same man who discovered America. Two grand achievements which rank Leif Eriksson as one of the heroes of history. With respect to the former event, an old Icelandic saga thus briefly records the fact. When fourteen winters were passed from the time that Eric the Red set forth to Greenland, his son Leif sailed from thence to Norway, and came thither in the autumn that King Olaf Tryggvason arrived in the north from Helfaland. Leif brought up his ship at Nidaros, Dontheim, and went straight away to the king. Olaf declared unto him the true faith, as was his custom, unto all heathens who came before him. And it was not hard for the king to persuade Leif thereto, and he was baptised and with him all his crew. Nor was it hard for King Olaf to persuade his subjects generally thereto. His Christianity was very new and rather muscular, and under the persuasive influence of the sword, this royal missionary made more proselytes than ever were made before in the same space of time by all the monks and missionaries put together. When Leif came back to Greenland with a new religion and a priest to boot, his father Eric was much incensed and declared the act pregnant with mischief. But after a while he was prevailed upon to acknowledge the new religion and at the same time to give his wife, Hilda, who had proved a more ready subject for conversion, leave to build a church. Thus runs the saga. Leif straightway began to declare the universal faith throughout the land, and he laid before the people the message of King Olaf, and detailed unto them how much grandeur and great nobleness there was attached to the new belief. Eric was slow to determine to leave his ancient faith, but Thjodhilde, his wife, was quickly persuaded thereto, and she built a kirk, which was called Thjodhilde's Kirk. And from the time she received the faith, she separated from her husband, which did sorely grieve him. And this appears to have been the last, and as the sequel shows, was the most potent argument for his conversion. To get his wife back, he turned Christian and ordered the pagan rites to be discontinued, and the pagan images of Thor and Odin and the rest of them to be broken up and burned. Whether this first Greenland church of Thjodhildas was built at Bratalid, or Garda, or Krakdotok, cannot now be positively said, but we might perhaps find some reason to conclude it was the latter from the fact that an old man named Grima, as the saga states, who lived then at Bratali, made complaint 
I get but seldom to the church to hear the words of learned clerks, for it is a very long journey thereto. This much, however, we do know, that the church, wherever it was situated, was begun in the year 1002, and was known far and wide by the name of its pious lady founder. Several churches and three monasteries were built afterwards. One of these latter was near a boiling spring, the waters from which, being carried through the building in pipes, gave a pleasant warmth to the good monks who occupied it, and they needed no other heat the year round. The Christian population of Greenland became, in course of time, so numerous that it was necessary for the Bishop of Iceland to come over there frequently to administer the duties of that part of his see. For the Diocese of Garda, as it was called, was from the first attached to the Sea of Iceland. A hundred years thus passed away, and both in spiritual and temporal matters, the Northmen in Greenland were getting along finely. Their intercourse with Europe was regular, and their export trade, especially in beef, was considerable. Indeed, Greenland beef was for a long time highly prized in Norway, and there was no greater luxury to set before the king. The people were almost wholly independent of the Icelandic government. Under a system of their own devising, which appears to have perfectly satisfied their necessities, they lived quite unmolested by the outside world, and, undisturbed by wars and rumours of wars, the descendants of Eric the Red were as happy as any people need wish to be. They lacked only one thing to complete their scheme of perfect independence. They needed a bishop of their own, which would cut them loose from Iceland altogether. And in truth, the Icelanders were such a liberty-loving people that they were in no wise inclined to dispute their claims. But a bishop they could not have without the sanction of the powers that ruled in Norway, for the Pope would not appoint so high an officer for any of the regions, directly or indirectly subject to the control of Norway, except upon the nomination of the king, after consultation with his spiritual advisers. Numerous petitions were accordingly sent over to the king in order to secure his good offices. For a time, these efforts were attended with but partial success, since a temporary bishop only was vouchsafed them in the person of Eric, not the Red, who went to Greenland in the year 1120, and without remaining long went home, having, however, visited Vinland in the interval. This Vinland being the America which Columbus thought to be a part of Asia some four centuries later. Finding they did not get a bishop of their own according to their deserts, as they estimated them, they grew indignant, and one of their chief men, named Sokka, declared that they must and would have one. Their personal honour and the national pride demanded it. And indeed, the Christian faith itself was not in safety otherwise. Accordingly, under the advice of Sokka, a large present of walrus ivory and valuable furs was voted to the king of Norway, and Einar, son of Sokka, 
was commissioned to carry the petition and the present. The result proved that the inhabitants of Greenland were wise in their day and generation. For whether through the earnestness of their appeals, or the value of their gifts, or through the persuasiveness of the ambassador, or through all combined, they obtained in the year 1126 Bishop Arnold, who forthwith founded his Episcopal See at Garda, and there erected a cathedral which was built in the form of a cross. Arnold seems to have been a most excellent and pious leader of these struggling Christians, zealous as the famous monk of Iona, without the impulsiveness of that great apostle of Scotland, he bound his charge together in the bonds of Christian love and gave unity and happiness to a prosperous people. He died in the year 1152, and thenceforth, until 1409, the see of Garda, which he had founded, was regularly maintained. According to Baron Halberg in his History of Denmark, 17 successive bishops administered the ordinances of the church in Greenland, the list terminating with Andreas, who was consecrated in 1406. The see and Andreas expired together, and the last account we have of either was made in 1409, when it is recorded that he officiated at a marriage, from the issue of which men now living are proud to trace their ancestry. This was his last official act, so far as we have record. End of section 83